Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? We finally did it, man. We actually lived up to the hype of the NBA trade deadline. James Harden is a Philadelphia 76er. We've all been released from our national nightmare of where Ben Simmons will play his next basketball game. He's headed to Brooklyn. I can't actually believe as much talk as there was about this in the last, I would say, four or five days. I'm still kind of shell shocked this deal actually went down. Dude, it's it's incredible. Today is like every NBA fan's dream. Today has literally reminded me why I love the NBA so much. And, you know, there's there was a little bit of malaise happening a couple of weeks back with the NBA. And you know how it is when football is kind of kicking into the postseason gear. And we're still kind of a few weeks away from all-star trade deadline. But now, man, today the NBA grasped the everyone's intention. I don't even care about the Super Bowl that's happening on Sunday anymore. Um, and this Harden-Simmons trade, it was perfect that it actually went down. Because I'm telling you, I could not deal with another several weeks or months of the speculation around what would happen with those two. Well, I think if you zoom in at the very micro level, this feels like an obvious trade to have happened, right? Simmons is upset. We know this forever. Harden's upset. We started to find out. But the macro view of how this has transpired is so insane. I don't know that people quite wrap their heads around this. When Houston was trading Harden just 14 months ago, they declined the Simmons-based package to opt for the picks galore from Brooklyn. Then Harden goes to Brooklyn. It's a joke. They're blowing everyone out. And it's like this team is a lock to win the title. Fast forward, one Kyrie ankle, one Harden hamstring. Suddenly that team is bounced in round two to the eventual champion Bucks. And <laughs> lo and behold, a COVID vaccine emerges. One of those three doesn't want to take it. Now, all of a sudden, they've played 16 games together before they blew it up. Four picks, four swaps for 16 games of this core, then ultimately traded for a guy they bought that was resisted originally and who hasn't even played this season because of how mad he is at his team. I mean, you can't even script a wilder finish to this unless somehow it was a four-teamer where Wall and Westbrook were traded for each other again. That would be the only way to make this thing even crazier. But which I, almost happened. Which almost which happened. It was proposed to the Lakers who who declined it. Yeah, man. When, when you put it that way, 14 months. I mean, and then if you think about it, it's only 16 months ago that the Lakers won the bubble championship. And look where they're at right now. Yeah. So, so much has, has happened in the last uh, year and a half um, to get us to this point. But where should we start with this Harden trade? Uh, well, do you, yeah. Before we get into the basketball, I would like to say there maybe there's a broader point we should one day address about how today, when there was actually no basketball being, being referenced during the middle of the day, is what made you happy to be an NBA fan. Maybe this is a <laughs> separate problem the NBA has about where that the stuff happening on Twitter matters a lot more than what's actually happening on the court. But you know that's neither here nor there. I think Woj had thirty thousand retweets in the first minute after he Insane, posted that this trade was going down. Well, yeah, we know that's a problem for the NBA that people like the game outside the game even more, the drama, the storylines. But I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It reminds me of you're watching a, a great TV show, right? But it's starting to kind of it's like, where is this going? What's happening? And then you get to the final episode and it leaves you on a crazy cliffhanger. Yeah, I feel like that is the trade deadline. You have the hiatus, which is all star break. 
And now you have a whole new season of that TV show where you're excited to see what happens. And now we have a whole new NBA landscape. Like, what do the Sixers look like with Harden? What do the Nets look like with Simmons? Does Simmons even play or does he take more time for his mental health? Um, you know, what do all these we other know teams that made moves? Yeah, we know that's not happening. You know, how does Denwitty and Luca? what does that pairing look like? Yeah, right. <laughs> all the key questions to shape the future. So, but it's it gets excitement going into the second half of the season. So what's funny is, we're, so we taped part one on Tuesday. We had this whole grand plan to get your instant reactions on the uh, Tyrese Halliburton trade. T- taped part one, didn't release it. We were going to add it to add this part to that and make one big episode. Then we actually, if you remember, we ended that podcast barely touching the Karis LeVert deal and the and the Norm Powell deal because we were like, it's fine. We'll cover them in bulk on Thursday because there's not really going to be that much more that's happened. Four major deals have already already transpired. And now you come to this and it's like Porzingis and Harden being on the move and Simmons being on the move. Those are, I mean, Porzingis is obviously a tier below that, but just watershed kind of moments in NBA trade deadline history that we've completely had to scrap kind of joining the episodes we're going to release them two separately just because we know if you want to hear Harden Simmons you want to hear it right at the top and not buried 40 minutes into an episode well yeah that was the plan right we thought Tuesday was going to be the meatiest part but um hey look every now and then the trade deadline delivers I feel like the next three or four years we're going to have the same kind of disappointment that we typically have yeah but once in a while you get a day like today where it's just refreshing Twitter and no work gets done so yeah I'm not complaining all right, which team – so let's talk basketball. Which team do you want to start with in terms of kind of their immediate future moving forward? And we don't know what beyond this season is really going to hold. Let's at least just talk what the rest of this year is going to be because they're both going to be, I think, pretty big factors uh, come April, May. I think you have to start with Philly because the, the Simmons conversation has been going on for a while now. They finally – you know, Maury has been – Become kind of a laughingstock amongst a lot of the the media, the NBA kind of blogosphere, because it's like, what is this guy holding out for? And look, I'm going to say right now, the Sixers came out in a really good spot after this deal. Um, I don't want to hear about Harden's age or what he's looked like this season. They traded a guy who was literally not going to play for them the rest of the season, a disgruntled star. Three months ago, we were talking about Harrison Barnes. Um, we were talking about Harrison Barnes, Bagley, and Buddy Heald as a potential package for Simmons. And there I don't are people think like anybody was talking about that except I, you, you and hey, your Sacramento Kings buddies. I'm I'm telling you, you forget that there are people. No, I mean Fox or Halliburton were always in any Simmons. No, package. that was recent. I'm talking about four or five months ago. It seemed like Maury was not going to get anything, and to come out with Harden to put together a, uh, you know, superstar to pair with Embiid. In a season where the Sixers are already doing well and not give up any of their young talent, you don't give up Thibel, you don't give up Maxi. I don't care about the picks. That is an absolute win for me, and I think the Sixers did an amazing job pulling this off. You got to give Maury credit. He stuck to his guns. He was like, "We're gonna ride this out for four years if it takes, if that's what it takes to get a top twenty guy." Everyone clowned him left, right, and center day after day, especially when it was like top twenty, no top twenty-five, actually top thirty. He's like, you know, the way Embiid's playing, really a top 40 guy is suffice. And, you know, that's when you started to see, okay, they're not going to get shit. They'll be lucky to get C.J. McCollum, you know. And 
I don't know what happened, man. Like one day we're going to hear the 30 for 30 about James Harden's career. We'll hear about the enormous tampering that probably went into making sure he demanded the trade right at the moment that Philly had to make a decision on whether to hold Simmons till the summer or not. And, and they did it. And I do think though, if you think about, you know, I've been saying this, it's like almost anything they do is a net positive because you have a $35 million hole sitting on your bench. So it, it really couldn't matter what the other pieces were. They could have given up Maxi or even Thibel, and this would have been a win because Harden is better than Maxi on his own. And that's really the only comparison because Simmons, again, was not playing for Philadelphia. So it really couldn't even matter what the package was. And the fact that, like you said, they kept those two guys um, was impressive. I think Maury fell victim to his just blind love for Harden in some ways in terms of what he was willing to throw in. He could have probably gotten a little bit less if he had wanted to push for it, but he's like, let me not fuck this up because, again, Embiid has another MVP caliber season on the books, and you just cannot mess with you know that type of um, production when you don't know that it's going to last for 10 more years. Given the usage and the se- the fact that he's a seven-footer, and I know he hasn't had injury issues at all recently, but that always looms when you're a big man of that size and you've had somewhat of a history. So yep. you've got to maximize the window now. And what I like about this trade, though, is they could have given up Maxi and Bible instead of picks. Right? That was a possibility. And and um, the reason that I think it was better they give up the picks is because you keep that depth. The fact that they still have Tobias, yeah, they didn't get off his contract. But you know what? Tobias Harris is a third option, fourth option is great. Um, he can actually fit into that role as opposed to like the number two guy he is right now. And for and Seth Curry, I don't know when Seth Curry became this freaking superstar. Everyone acts like Seth Curry was this this huge piece. And oh, if the Sixers, you know, the Sixers can't throw Seth Curry into this deal, otherwise it makes no sense. Like. Seth Curry is a great shooter, great off the ball, but at the end of the day, he's got the defensive limitations. He's been exposed in the playoffs. He's not a guy you can count on. So I'm glad that, you know, whatever. They threw him in the package. I don't think it's a big deal, but there was just way too much talk about Seth Curry. Yeah, I mean, look, Seth Curry is not a player that you hold up a James Harden deal for, but at the same time, he's not nobody, right? He's shooting 44% from three. His brother, Steph, could take a note or two about how to make shots this season. (laughs) And ultimately, like the two-man game that they have with him and Embiid is very reminiscent to what he had with J.J. Redick, which was Redick's most successful season of his career. And also the the trip that got the, you know, Embiid Sixers the closest to actually getting to a conference finals or potentially a final. So I think that's really important. And I also think if you look at Brooklyn, including him was very important because they don't really have the kind of shooting you thought they were going to have between Joe Harris's injury, between the fact that Kyrie Irving can't play home games still, Kevin Durant is out, guys like Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin are basically zeros. This team is like the depth is way, way worse than than people thought. And even someone who can shoot like a Cam Thomas can't really play crunch time in a playoff series because he's just a sieve defensively and does not know how to pass the ball. So I think – it matters to both teams. In a way, this was the perfect trade because in both instances, you got what you wanted. Now, you know, we'll stick to Philly before we move to Brooklyn. But like in Philly's point, we already made the case that you go get Harden when you do. The key reporting from Shams, which was not spoken nearly enough 
about was he opted into his player option yep. by virtue of doing this deal. That is massive because you were staring down the barrel of potentially paying him a new contract that was going to have him making $60 million plus as a 36-year-old who already has, <laughs> let's needless to say, some longevity issues that you're starting to worry about. After being the most durable player of the 2010s, he's broken down in two straight years. So at least... Although that number is $47 million, I'm going to call it a bargain for that player <laughs> option next year. Because you have two runs at it before you have to make a decision on something. Nope. Um, and they may true try to extend him this summer. It's possible. But they may also say, look, we want to take a long look at you this year, next year, and then we'll figure out what we got. Um, by then, Tobias's deal is coming up off the books. It's time to pay Maxi, But you can, you can build a lot more flexibility. And your hope is Embiid is still playing at all NBA caliber. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, I think that Philly has elevated its title chances more than anybody in the league, obviously, at the deadline. But I, I'm curious, like, where do you think they now stand in that hierarchy amongst those top four or five teams? I mean, I don't know because we haven't seen it play out yet. But I, I, I don't think they – I put them at even odds with Brooklyn. Um and maybe a, a notch below Milwaukee just because Milwaukee's been there. They're the reigning champs, um, and it's hard to bet against Milwaukee. But I, I put them right there with Brooklyn, above Chicago, above Cleveland, and maybe right there with Miami. Miami, I still don't know what to make of until I see them in the postseason. But I think all those teams are bunched together. And and to your point about the Harden opting in, I think I agree. That is a huge piece of it. And I think part of it was the fact that Maury and him have that relationship and can, um, there's that trust level, right? Because Harden yeah. could have easily, Philly might have felt like they had to make that move and Harden could have been like, I want that new contract next season. Uh, and then you're a rental for what, four months? And if it doesn't work out, it looks, you're in a really hard place. So buying that extra year uh, matters a lot. Yeah, I think the extra year is crucial. I think the fact that they get 30 games now to sort of figure it out is crucial. The all-star draft today was just hilarious with, you know, they're like, is he healthy? He's like, well, he got traded, so he's healthy now. And that's really the way Harden goes. I mean, look, I am incensed by just his mockery of competition. Maybe I sound like the old man yelling at the cloud, but I'm sorry, I don't like a player empowerment enough for a guy to quit on his team two straight years. I don't think that's cool. You want to talk player empowerment? What about the players that he fucked over, his teammates, that he's not empowering, right? Like, what about situations like that? I'm not sure I agree with his approach there. And so, to me, I, I always think about it like, look, you got to do what's best for you, but you can't just bounce after every situation. You tell me the first, the next big playoff moment Harden has in his career will be his first. So as much as the deal is great, I would put them still in the lower half of that top elite group in the East. Yeah, I mean, I, but I don't know how you can – we haven't seen it yet. Like Harden and Embiid with those guys – with Tobias Harris and Maxi and Thibault, like that could be a pretty good team. Uh, I don't think it's any significantly worse than a Brooklyn or than a Miami. Um to the point about the macro, you know, what, you know, a guy like Harden and guys who seemingly kind of pout their way out of situations and get traded. I mean, Simmons did, right? Like he just Simmons went to did a, too. an he amazing hears, best situation possible. And I, I don't like the way it happened. I don't like the, just the amount of 
reports and stories we have to hear about these guys and, and the issues they have and what what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go. That being said, in the macro grand scheme of things, I think this is these are actually positive things because one super teams are getting blown up faster than usual. Um, and which is reshaping the NBA landscape, keeping things competitive, making things more interesting. And then two, I think teams are going to be a little bit more wary of going a committing big money to some of these combinations or um, really investing in these guys, knowing that the leash on these guys is really short. Uh, and, and I think it, it hasn't happened yet, but I think it's going to lead to a little bit more skepticism, a little bit more reluctance on the team side. And that's only good if, if there are fewer super teams being formed and it prevents that from happening. So, so I'm saying kind of, sometimes you, to move forward, you got to step, step back. Exactly. I think we come out of this when the dust clears and it actually is better for the league in terms of maintaining the competitiveness. I, I can't get around that because I've yet to see, dude, the thing is, this is where I disagree. At the end of the day, there's eight guys who matter in the league. And there's always going to be eight guys who matter in the league. You can't win a title unless you have one of those eight. And if those eight say, hey, I want anything in the world, it's brought to their feet, right? Like, that's just the way it goes. Like, LeBron, who is kind of credited in some ways for being the, like, founder of the player empowerment era, and then in a negative way, like, thought of as someone who's, like, created this, like, avenue for players to quit, he has played every game of his career with intensity and through out every contract, right? He's never demanded a trade. He's never left midseason. He's always left as a free agent. I think what happened with him and what happened even with Durant leaving to go to Golden State has evolved into this like really ugly version of that, where it's not only am I going to take make my own choices about where I want to play when I'm not under contract, I'm going to make it so horrible to exist around me that even when I am under contract, it is meaningless. Like, what does everyone say about the Bradley Beal Supermax? Like, oh, he'll just sign it and then demand out in a year. Cool. Uh, yeah, great. Awesome. I'm super happy. We're all, like, on the same page here. Like, yeah, like $250 million, whatever. A year from now, he'll pout, and then we'll send him wherever he wants and have to take back all this salary. Like, it's fundamentally a backwards scenario, and I don't think it'll ever change when, if you are a superstar of the caliber of Harden, someone's always going to want you, and someone's always going to make that big bet on you. Okay, so here's where I disagree. I think a lot of people say that the Wizards should not pay Bradley Beal. And it's become a common school of thought that, you know, maybe they may not even do it. Like, and knowing the Wizards, they probably will. And I, we understand, like, he's been there for a while, the relationship he has with that team. But I, I, five years ago, I think it's a no-brainer. A guy who's been all NBA, a guy has been there his whole career, you sign him to a five-year deal. I think now there's more skepticism that he's going to ask out after a year or two and you may not commit that money. So I think the mindset has shifted. But we've seen it for players of Beal's caliber. Like this is what Paul George and in Indiana had to deal with. This is what DeMarcus Cousins and the Kings had to deal with where they decided not to pay him. But you never really don't pay him. All you do is trade him. So even with the Wizards, they can't let Beal walk for nothing. That would be catastrophic and it would set the franchise back 10 years. At the very least, they need to sign and sign and trade him. Well, but they again, could have traded him at the deadline, but they're not going to do that. They could have that, but that would require like some level of like risk-seeking nature from our GM, who 
I, we can talk about the Porzingis trade, but the reality is all he does is cover up his previously terrible tracks, which is exactly what his predecessor, er, Ernie Grunfeld, did as well. Um, okay, so Philly, Wait, but, I think... But, but I, I, I do want to say one thing about your LeBron point. Everyone roasted LeBron for having these short two-year, three-year contracts. They roasted all these guys, Kawhi, even Kevin Durant with the Warriors was a, what, three-year deal? Yeah, um, opt out but, after t- uh, yeah. But I don't get it. People out. also complain when these guys do these five year deals or whatever, a longer term deal, and then ask for out in the middle of it. At least with guys like LeBron and KD, they stuck to the terms of that contract. So what is better, having them on these short term deals, or having these guys commit to longer money and then just eventually asking out? I think player fans literally like when players don't have to switch things up every one or two years because their current situation's not working. The prime example is Milwaukee, right? How long have Chris Middleton and Giannis played together? Six years, I think, at this point. Gone through some pretty embarrassing failures, including what happened in the bubble. And they came back, and wh- what do they do? They ran through East and won a championship down 2-0. That type of continuity is exactly what we're striving for think about phoenix right i know chris paul just got there but that core of bridges booker ayton has been there for a few years right chris paul resigned the whole plan is to keep it going if they don't win this year they're going to come back next year yeah they'll retool around the edges but booker's not going to ask out because he's like wait a second we're not going far enough and i think that's ultimately what players want like if you go look at the 2018 all-stars or the 2019 all-stars half those guys don't even play for those teams right and maybe more, honestly, if you go back even 2018 or 2017. And so that's the frustrating part as a fan, which is maybe I'm tired of – I love the deadline. I love the immediate like, yeah, let's let's go. Let's tweet notifications. Let's all get fired up. We're all watching this together. But then the dust settles. It's like, okay, cool. Now i got to relearn Embiid and Harden. And like that's going to be a, you know one year gone for that experiment with Ben Simmons he's got three weeks to ramp because he was too sad to play basketball previously and now he's fine and you know Kyrie Irving can't be traded because he'll he'll just retire wherever he goes and John Wall's sitting out because they just don't feel like playing him and Zion Williamson won't come it's like all these things Zion Williamson won't sign the max and now he wants to go to New York it's like there is a fatigue element of like we're of how much player movement we're going to have and what does that actually represent about the state of basketball yeah, that's fair, right? I, but I think that, um, you know, you use examples like the Bucks and the Suns. I mean, these are teams that are successful. They made the finals. Um, I think what's changed is not that the teams that are successful keep retooling. It's the teams that fall short aren't willing to just stick with the same formula. And players aren't willing to stick with the same formula if they know it's not working for whatever reason. And so things get reshuffled. And I, I think the problem is more in how it's being handled and in the constant reporting through agents, the um, creating leverage. You know, you hear one person says this, one person says that. Some guys don't try, like Harden clearly just dogging that, it. Yeah, that's bad. Those are the, the problems. I don't think the actual movement and that is necessarily bad. Um, because, look, these teams are benefiting, man. Like, you're telling me Milwaukee, like, we just talked about Brooklyn. We haven't talked about Brooklyn yet on this, but Brooklyn and Philly essentially won this deal. Both they teams both came won, out man. better. Like, so it's... In a lot of these cases, like, okay, even New Orleans, New Orleans and LA, Anthony Davis forced his way out of New Orleans. New Orleans, everyone was talking about how amazing that package was, and the Lakers won a championship. So somehow this is still working out for all parties. 
but the thing is, New Orleans, the package was good. It, it's all about the relative comparison. Same thing in Brooklyn. Yeah, that package was great, given that Harden wanted out. Yes, the New Orleans package was great, given that Anthony Davis wanted out. Guess what's better than a bunch of young prospects and picks? The actual top five superstar that you have on your current team that you don't need to go get. Are you telling me New Orleans would rather have Ingram and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes versus just freaking Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson on the same front court? They were happy with that trade. They Only were happy. because Davis bounced and he was like quitting on the team. And same thing with Harden. Well, no, but Davis was there for seven years. Let's not act like he played for two years and then left. He played for seven years. Yeah, but he was still – he still like held them hostage for a year and a half of not knowing what he wants to do. I don't like, like the way it was handled, but I'm saying like ultimately the outcome ends up being okay. But for they the don't team. want that outcome. They just want to have Anthony Davis. No, and they I'm not don't. Saying that he, they they I'm not saying that anywhere. he's. I'm not saying he needs to be committed to playing there his entire career. But like Harden scoring four points in 36 minutes in in Brooklyn in, uh, against Sacramento the other night. Like, there's nothing like I can't legally charge him with anything. I can't citizens arrest him if I see him on the streets. But like. That is egregious, and it really is – it's an affront to anybody who cares about, like, the sanctity of the game, as as lame as that sounds. Like, quitting on your team, quitting in, like, the middle of the game, basically, like, loafing a year after he did that exact thing to get to Brooklyn. It's unreal. Yeah, but these are edge cases. I don't think we're going to see more and more players doing this. I think there's always going to be three or four guys that do this on a given basis, which sucks. But I don't, I don't see this as some pandemic spreading through the league in terms of now all the young guys are going to follow the same model. I don't think it's that. I think that's kind of blown out of proportion. It's not that it's a it, – you have to be a certain kind of player, right? Like if uh, De'Aaron Fox tried to do this, nobody would trade for him because he sucks, respectfully, in that, in that context, right? Like – if Harden did it, he can get away with it. Hypothetically, again, this does not seem like a Jason Tatum level behavior. But if be, if Tatum really, really wanted out of Boston and he just started fucking around, he could get out by this manner. I'm not saying he would, of course, but he could get out of the manner. Um, okay, let's talk Brooklyn for a second. The best version of Brooklyn was just a committed Harden. I still think a committed Harden, a vaxxed Kyrie, and a healthy KD. <laughs> And they would have rolled through the East, I I really think, right? Because they did it last year. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't. Like the one game they had this year with all three of them, they smoked Chicago by like 35. It was basically exactly what we remembered it. And it just never worked. And it's beyond weird that they played 16 total games together after everything that happened. But nonetheless, again, given that you were going to lose Harden potentially this summer and given that he didn't seem interested to continue, this was an unbelievable package. As, as strong as you felt about the Philly side is how strongly I feel about the Brooklyn side. Um, again, when you add it to what I presume will be KD's like healthy return post-All-Star break because you've shored up a lot of the issues that started poking you know, its ugly head even when they had two of the three stars out, which is the depth was really bad for Brooklyn. They've lost 10 straight games, by the way. Um and getting four guys that could be in your rotation or three guys that can be in your rotation and pretty much three potential starters, that's an amazing haul. It, it's predicated on what Simmons looks like, but I, I liked it. And I think we can talk fit, but I'm a fan of, of how they're going to be structured moving forward. 
on paper, it looks fantastic. I think Simmons should fit in well. Seth Curry brings some extra shooting. The picks are obviously just nice, given that they, they had to give up picks before. You kind of replenish that stockpile. Um, I, I like this deal for Brooklyn, too. Like I, I think, like you said, though, it's unfortunate because here's the difference. I think Philly, I still take Philly with Harden or with, and Embiid and all those other pieces over the original Simmons, Embiid, and all those other pieces. But just like you said, Correct. Brooklyn, I would rather take Harden, Kyrie, and um, Durant. And so it's not it's not a bad trade. Brooklyn definitely got a great package out of this. I think they made the right moves. It's just unfortunate that it didn't have to be like this. Like this wasn't yeah. a better outcome than what they originally had planned for. Correct. And the and the the reality is this is again all relative. I'll go back to that point because I think it's really important here. You're only doing this trade because Harden's like I'm done. Yep. And you know for all of the bashing of Harden that I just did, I do understand his frustration. Um, it sounds like Kyrie being a part time player really pissed him off. Like he just felt that was extremely selfish. We both think that that's selfish from a societal standpoint, um, much less a basketball one. We're not trying to win a title with the guy, so I can imagine. And Harden doesn't have a title, right? He doesn't have what no, KD and, and, Kyrie, and have. Kyrie do. Yeah. And I don't think that's talked about enough because he came here with the, every intention of of getting that. And he probably looked at it as like, there's no way we're going to win a championship with this situation. And there isn't, by the way. If Kyrie no. – Kyrie's not going to get vaccinated. So if New York doesn't change the rule, there's no way that they can win a championship. So – I understand his frustrations. I understand apparently it caused rifts between him and KD too about like probably how strong of language they wanted to use towards Kyrie, right? Because KD always had his back and he was probably like, dude, this is your boy. Like, are we going for it or not? Are we just messing around? Like, you tell me what's up. Um, and so. as as much as Harden has um, – look, I don't like the way he's salt and powdered and I think everyone hates Harden. Everyone's always hated Harden for the way he's played basketball. Yeah. It feels like everyone really hates him now because of his off-the-court kind of attitude as well. Um, but that being said, I don't think you can say this guy doesn't want to win. I really think he cares a lot about winning. This is one of the most durable players. Yes, I know he's been dogging it recently, but one of the most durable players in NBA history, a guy who, regardless of his extracurricular activities that he likes to do in his free time, loves to hoop. And like you said, he's the only guy without a ring and he really wants to win. And I think to have to put up with, you go to a team thinking that you're going to have this balanced attack and it's you night in, night out carrying the team. Kyrie is making no commitment to come back. Kyrie's what, lighting sage in the locker room and, and talking about warding off the spirits from Cleveland that continue to haunt them to this day. Like that that's an actual thing that was reported today. Um, and it's like, dude, how much more can you put up with this? The disappointing thing is that it all comes down to the vaccine and the uncertainty around the vaccine. Because I think that if it would, New York had come out, let's say a week ago, and said, "Look, we are going to lift the the you know the rule around athletes playing indoors in the stadium," I think there's a chance to salvage it. I know everyone said Harden was already done, but because the basketball situation was going to be really good. Yeah, I think Durant might have been able to convince him. If and so part of it is like, dude, it all comes down to the vaccination status of Kyrie that blew this whole thing up. 
so two 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 things. The first is your point about Harden's uh, perception around the league. The funniest thing from today was Woj's report that he really wants out, but he doesn't want to formally request a trade due to what people think. It's like you really are not online. I mean, people have said it all the time. Like Young Thug was like, "I love my boy Harden. He doesn't have the internet." It is so true, dude. This guy must not see or hear a thing. Secondly. I wonder how much of this would be, have been different if KD just never got hurt, right? Yeah, because yeah. if he doesn't get hurt, and I know he's missed, it's only been two to three weeks. It feels like an eternity because they've lost 10 straight games. All of this came up. Kyrie's in and out one night, out the next night. You know, he's been playing well, but Kyrie's doing what Kyrie's doing. I've been saying this for 10 years. He's the most overrated player in NBA history. His game <laughs> is amazing. He looks incredible, and they don't. it doesn't translate to winning. They freaking lost to the Wizards tonight, dude. Like, after we just traded half our roster and Beal had wrist surgery today. So, you know, I don't want to hear anything about Kyrie. Kyrie is the third banana, but the problem is with Durant out, there was no one to bridge the gap between two guys who clearly didn't see eye to eye. Um, And KD's injury was coincided right around the time that Kyrie came back. So it was like there was no time whatsoever to mend the relationships that may have been messed up. Um, but you know, uh, the other thing I think is interesting from a, from a Brooklyn standpoint is like, you're looking at it. Like we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? It was like, what does Simmons not do? Well, late game shot creation. What does he not need to do on this team? Late game shot creation. So from that standpoint, this looks like it could be really, really promising. And unlike Philly, Brooklyn doesn't have a low post player where Simmons is going to get in his way. He can stand in the dunker spot all day long for all anyone cares. Like Kyrie's going to be at the elbow. KD's going to be at the mid post. You're going to have Curry and Mills and Joe Harris spotting up in the corners. Like it's going to work from a structure scheme standpoint. And I think that's the big difference between what Simmons did in Philly versus what he's going to do here. On a paper, on paper, it looks like it's going to fit amazing. But the other thing we don't know is Simmons hasn't played in a while. Simmons, um, you know, he he said today that he's working on his mental health and he'll come back when he's ready to come back. But you know, how how long do you are you putting that on? Like, like two days, and then he's he's reporting to duty. He's like, I'm good now. Um, I mean, I hate to be skeptical of that. I don't know what the guy's going through, but it to me, you know, I don't know how long he'd actually sit out. But I just it's Simmons is interesting because he's known for being a, a defensive player. He's known for doing all the right. He's a smart basketball player, but then his effort comes into question because of what he did at LSU. Yeah. What, you know, his lack of his reluctance to take shots. And part of me wonders, you know, how, does that frustrate Kevin Durant? Um, how will he fit with those personalities? Uh, Kevin Durant's a chill guy, but he also wants to win and he's a hooper. Right, so there's also kind of this this aspect of how will these personalities match, how will their work ethics match. Um, you're now in the spotlight. Simmons is going to be in the spotlight for the next year because you cause such a shitstorm with this whole trade thing that everything you do, every game you shoot 0 for five, it's going to become a leading story on on Sports Center. So yeah. how how are they going to deal with that? I think it will be fascinating too. I mean, that's yeah, it's going to be incredible. Like. The first time he's in a playoff game, and he's got to hit two free throws in a close game, and it's just nowhere to be. Like he may not even hit rim. Honestly, this guy could fold like a deck of cards. Like we have no clue what we're gonna see, right? 
Um, we haven't seen him play basketball in seven, eight months. So, I mean, and there's still the ramp up period. I think he's not going to join them right away. I think he's physically going to be with the team like right away. I mean, but I, I don't think he's actually going to be on the court for a couple weeks. Um, you think he course, skips out the first game in Philly? And March was it March 14th? March March 10th. 10th. If you don't have the guts to show up to that game, you might as well get traded again. Because, <laughs> like, would Jordan never not go to that? Would Kobe not go to that game? Would AI not go to that game? Then again, if he was those players, we'd be having a different conversation. But uh, or if and, and not only that, if you don't go back that game, what if you're playing a playoff series playoffs. against Philly and that's the first time you go back? You don't want that either. All I'm asking for in life is a Philly Brooklyn series. <laughs> Philly Brook, give me Philly Brooklyn on one side, give me Miami Milwaukee on the other side. Amazing. And then the Bulls amazing. get moved to the West so they can keep rolling, and, and they play in the conference finals and over in the West. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited. And I, the other guy that I didn't doesn't get talked about enough is like Andre Drummond, who's had a pretty decent season as a backup for Embiid. And has filled in pretty well when Embiid's been hurt or had COVID earlier in the year. He's their best big all of a sudden. Um, when you look at Brooklyn and like Aldridge has been okay and he's slumped a little bit. Blake Griffin's done. Millsap, I think, was in the trade, so he's out. Nick Claxton doesn't even get minutes. So you could argue Drummond is almost a lock starter at this point. Yeah, and uh, Sixers fans surprisingly were pretty sad about. I, I saw more Sixers fans complaining about losing Drummond than um, Seth because those backup minutes he provided to Embiid and the role he played this year has been really reliable. He's been really reliable for them, and it's great for Brooklyn because they we all know their lack of big man depth. And you know, Claxton seemed like a guy that was you know on a good trajectory and they liked him, but now he's he's not getting much playing time. So it made sense for them to get Drummond too, and that was a nice get in that trade. That, yeah, not many people are talking about. The the one disappointing thing is they got the two first. There was some act. There was some talk about whether they were done yet. They wanted to keep going. I thought they could have figured out a way to go get like a Miles Turner, package those two first with a Joe Harris contract or something to that extent to get Miles Turner. I thought that was that was an opportunity there. Uh, but now you're just kind of sitting through, sifting through the buyout market options, which there's never really that many impactful players in the buyer's mark, buyout market. We always overrate what that means. I don't think it's going to matter all that much. Yep. Um, yeah. Anything else on this deal? No, man. I mean, I, I just, I'm excited because like you said, these teams could be on a collision course in the playoffs and whoever wins that series is going to be thought of as whoever won the deal. Right. So yep. I, I love that Miami and Mil- watch. I love that Miami, Milwaukee, and Chicago are all playing well and all sat pat at the deadline because I think it really sends a message like, hey, we're content with where we are. Well, I Milwaukee think- went after Ibaka, but that's true. And that's actually not a bad move on their part. It was DiVincenzo, uh, Bagley went to uh, Detroit. Detroit. DiVincenzo went to Sacramento. Ibaka came to. Uh, to Milwaukee, and I don't know what the Clippers got, but um, I think Shemi Ojale, shout out. Um, I think that that is actually an underratedly good move if he can stay healthy, just because, like, you don't know what Brooke Lopez's health situation is. And I was actually watching tonight, and it was such a funny thing because Phoenix blew out Milwaukee, and yep. it was very much a role reversal of what we saw in the finals where Milwaukee just overpowered them with size. 
you know, beyond De- DeAndre Ayton, they were getting smoked and had Frank Kaminsky freaking playing backup, trying to guard Giannis in the post. Tonight, Phoenix was the one that had all the size. They were running like three-headed center monsters with Bismack, Biombo, Ayton, and JaVale McGee, like running the court at the same time. And so, and, you know, they were trying to guard Ayton with Bobby Portis. Ayton had near 30 points tonight. So that's to show you how much those rosters have t- shifted, which is why the Ibaka pickup was actually sneaky impressive, I think. It was good because even though he's kind of old, you don't know how much he's got left in the tank and hasn't been that great this year. Um, he's a smart player. He's a big body. He's smart defensively. He's not the same defensively as he was before, but um, you know, when you have Giannis sitting back there, you don't need a defensive stalwart to pair up with him. You just need someone who can hold their own and, and can make you know the right decisions and pick up five fouls, right? So, uh, or six fouls. So I, th- I think it was a good move for them. And DiVincenzo, um, you know, they got by without him last year in the playoffs. He hasn't recovered from that injury and hasn't been great yet this season. So yeah, I think it's okay for them to move on from him. And they have enough guard depth to kind of get away with it. On the night that uh, Luka Doncic had 28 in the first quarter, finished with 51, it was only right that you traded Marvin Bagley. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It says everything. Um, I actually think he could be – I'm actually excited for him in Detroit. That's a team that has nowhere to go but up. They're going to play young guys. Why not let him grow with Cade and see if there's any type of rapport there? Oh, it's great. I mean, Bagley's not a bad player. He's been injured, and he's obviously hasn't lived up to his hype, but he could be a role – like, he's going to have a career in the NBA. Uh, I No doubt about that. Um, the funniest thing, though, is the Kings posted a kind of thank you thing on Instagram for each of the players that left. So they said, like, you know, thank you, Tyrese. And then they had, like, you know, uh, you know, only rookie to put up these numbers in Sacramento Kings history or first rookie. They put up one for thank you, um, Buddy, right? Uh, third place all-time Kings three-pointers, whatever. And then they put one up for Bagley. No caption. It's like, dude, you couldn't even think of one accomplishment. Yeah. And really, you can't. There's not a single thing you can say. Like, oh, man. He didn't have a game where he went like 7 of 7 or something. Yeah, but that, like, that, that's worse. It's like, oh, for putting up, you know, 10 and 7 against Charlotte in the 2020 <laughs> April game. Like, <laughs> so it was just funny. And everyone was like, clowning on it. It's like, dude, you couldn't say one thing. Like, you, you Marvin Bagley, everyone. first player to represent us at the draft lottery four straight years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, unfortunately, that's probably been done like three other times. So <laughs> that could, that couldn't even count. Yeah, um, that that one's so, so obviously there's one monumental trade. I think if you if you ranked them in terms of like, yeah, let me ask you this: How would you rank the trades? So Simmons, Harden is a clear cut one. Number two, I probably put Sabonis, Halliburton. Yeah, and what I'm ranking by is just overall impact in the league slash a sort of name recognition slash kind of interest level. It's a it's an unspecified weighted average that I've come up with on the fly, but I'm putting yep. uh, Halliburton Sabonis too. I think the trade we haven't talked about yet, I think that's three, which is the Porzingis to DC trade. Or would you say McCollum? I actually think it's Porzingis. It's Porzingis. Okay. So let's talk about this deal. I am truly, utterly, just completely shell-shocked. 
that we somehow got off of Spencer Dinwiddie's horrible contract that became horrible four days after signing it and Davis Bertan's contract that became horrible one day after we signed it without giving up a single first-round pick. I am shocked. The reports all year were that if we wanted to move Bert off Bertans, it was going to cost us at least one, one, maybe a second. Um, Dinwiddie had no market because of how bad he's looked post ACL. And there are some numbers around how he plays a lot better without Beal and it wasn't a good pairing, but then the day he's still shooting 31% from three and couldn't drive past you and I at LA fitness. Right. So, um, that's the reality. And you look around the league and you look at all the bad contracts and you're like, well, I kind of don't really want those either. Right. Those sound worse than my problem. And there we found our buyer in Dallas who, I mean, you might have to walk me through this. Like, I, I see some value just in terms of another shooter around Luca, But if you look at the money owed, and there's a good page on NBA Reddit that kind of broke this down, it's relatively the same for the first three years. But then Bertans has money in that fourth year, whereas we're off Porzingis by then. So salary-wise for us, it's net neutral for three years. We get earlier cap flexibility. And you get a player with a much, much higher ceiling than either of those two dudes who has played well this year, albeit only half the time, because that's what he does. He plays 50% of the games. I'd rather watch him 50% of the games and watch Bertans in 100% of the games. So I think this is ultimately a good deal for Washington and cleaning up yet another mess. I agree with you on the Washington standpoint, because, look, you get off two fairly big contracts to get one bigger one, fair, but I, I see Porzingis as still an asset. Um, right? Like like you said, to unload Bertans was thought you have to give a first-round pick. I don't think the same is, is really true for Porzingis. And why not give him a test run? Um, you know, if you're the Wizards, you're still trying to, if you're going to end up signing Beal anyway, and you're going to try to be competitive, and, and I know Beal is not playing this season, but maybe Porzingis, you have something with him. I know he's been injured, but the Mavericks were, he's been having a good season. Um, the Mavericks are finally getting things together, even though he's not on the court anymore. Uh, I think for the Wizards, it makes sense. If you're going to build around Beal, take a shot at a guy like Porzingis, and you get off those other two contracts. I need someone to help me explain why Dallas does this. Like, And, and it's not like, oh, you know, if this is the Kings, you write them off as whatever, it's the Kings, blah, blah, blah. You can't have this kind of trade malpractice <laughs> when you have Luka on your team. Like... What is happening? Like, explain to me what is the logic at all, and don't tell me the Dinwiddie Luca pairing, you know, shows a lot of potential because you know you can't win building around those two guys. So the number one thing that I thought of right off the bat was right now their second unit is being run by Trey Burke, and Dinwiddie is an upgrade from that role. Uh, Twenty million dollars is a pretty expensive sixth man, but at least he's an upgrade there. The second thought I had is that KP kind of needs the ball often in ISO situations, and there's almost no world in which the Dallas Mavericks want to run the offense when Luka's on the court where he doesn't have the ball. It's fully Luka-centric. They're committing to it like 2018 Rockets committed to Harden, right? And I think they were just like, let's just get another shooter because the only type of bigs that are really going to work in this offense are rim-running athletic lob threats like a Dwight Powell. Um or I don't, I don't even know if they still have Willie Cauley signed, but someone like him, right? So that type of philosophy. Now, what I don't understand is before this trade happened, the Raptors made a really interesting move to trade Goran Dragic to get 
Thad Young. They gave up a protected first, which is an absolute coup for San Antonio because they were going to buy out Thad Young if they couldn't trade him, right? Now, Goran Dragic has literally said on the record that he wants to go to Dallas. So you're picking up Goran Dragic for free if you want him, for a vet min for the rest of the year, and he's going to give you, what, 85% of what Dinwiddie gets you? Yep. Um, And he's boys with Luka, who plays on Team Slovenia. So this is a part that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't track where you could have had that as your backup guard. Instead, you have Dinwiddie, who apparently is just trying to hit up NFT art galleries with Mark Cuban and, like, talk about freaking, like, staking coins like Solana and shit. So, like, I don't even know what that's going on. Like, he's less... He's less interested in playing basketball as he is on getting in like discords with Gary V. But nonetheless, I think you're going to run into a situation where playoff time, Bertans cannot be on the floor. He just, I mean, he he literally looks like if like imagine you went to Ramen Son, right, and then right after that you were asked to run like a five k, and like <laughs> you were like your pace, you, you had the pork buns, you had the freaking ramen with the fried chicken, you had three Sapporos and they were like, Hey, can you move around right now? That's what Bertans looks every time he's on the floor. So the idea of him trying to guard, like, I'm just thinking like he's in the playoffs and they're playing the jazz and he gets switched on to Donovan Mitchell. It's good night. Good luck. And so, you know, at least KP could play in a lot of these matchups. I know they didn't see eye to eye, but, I just don't understand the talent downgrade here. Did you have Robinson recently or something? That's the most random thing to. to I, I, I did have it in the last few weeks, but I was thinking. So I was thinking about it because I had we we had some other ramen place like a week or two ago, and I was thinking how like how deceptively uh, large the content is of ramen. And if you keep eating and keep eating, which, you know, as long as the food's in front of me, I do that. You are so freaking full at the end of it. It is absolutely outrageous. You can't even move. Yep. And you think it's not that. It's like a ramen, some noodles, some broth, like whatever, like vegetables. There's the egg. Get some protein. It is, like, dangerous. Um. And that's how I feel watching Davis Bertans play, as if I just ate a bowl of ramen. (laughs) That's a good comparison. Um. I okay, so the thing with the guard rotation still doesn't like I get that you know Trey Burke they could replace those minutes, but what I mean, you look, you've got Jalen Brunson, you've got Tim Hardaway Jr., who I know is injured, right? But he's gonna be on the roster for the next couple of years. So what's the what's the plan? Like it's it's they've got a glut of guards anyway. Like if they were moving Brunson or Hardaway or something and then getting a big or a wing. It, it would make a little bit more sense in the, in the grand scheme of things. But just this move for Dinwiddie and nothing else, it's – I don't know what they're doing, man. And Dallas has been operating really weird. Like, kid I know has actually been solid this year, but it was a puzzling hire. You have all the news about the dysfunction in the front office or kind of, you know, not front office in terms of the basketball decision, but just the overall front office, right? Yeah. Um. And then you have stuff like this, and I'm just wondering, like, what is happening that they're – you've got Luka, you've got this golden ticket, and it feels like they're mismanaging everything. This is LeBron 2.0. Um, this is what we saw in in Cleveland in that first stint where they made a lot of moves. They kept trying to reshuffle the pieces. None of them were particularly smart moves. And you have this generational talent who makes you look good because he, in fact, is good with anybody. And, you know, 
right now we still haven't seen any playoff success from Luca. It's still early, of course. Uh, he's only in year four, and maybe this is a year that they make a, make a move here. But you still look at it and you're like, I don't know how this team is any better than any other version of this team of uh, the team that he's had. Like, how have we made strides from year one to year four? The only player who's gotten better is Luca, and yeah. you know maybe Jalen Brunson or maybe Dorian Finney-Smith on the fringes here and there, but. Sometimes Cuban is also outsmarts himself, right? He's feeling himself. He's got Shark Tank. He's got crypto. He's got everybody hitting him up. He's like, oh, you can buy uh, the the newest Luca jersey and Dogecoin in our Mavs team shop. It's like, cool, dude. Nobody gives a shit. Can you put a good product on the floor? Like, can you sign a marquee free agent like once in your tenure? And, uh, you know, they did the same thing with Dirk and he got off the hook because they won a title, but. I know Lucas signed the five-year max, so he's not going anywhere. But damn, I'm not thrilled. As much as I don't like KP, if I'm Luca, I'm not thrilled with this being the outcome. Exactly. I mean, even um, the Kings, I feel like would have maybe done a better job putting a team around Luca had they drafted him at this point by four years. You'd think. Yeah, there is an element though of like Twitter groupthink, and I thought about this as related to the Halliburton Sabonis trade reaction, including what we talked about Tuesday night, which everyone will hear on part one, and how that manifests itself in the way we just evaluate when we think about things privately, and everyone was dunking on the Kings, right, right away. And maybe that's the case, but they were also trying to turn Halliburton into this, like, revolutionary, like, Isaiah Thomas or something. It's like, dude, this guy is, like, good, but can we, like, pump the brakes on what we think his ceiling is? And then even in this trade, it was like, you know, everyone was rushing to clown Cuban and all the crypto stuff and whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's probably a dumb trade. But Porzingis was thought about as like the worst contract in the NBA two years ago. So they just moved off. You know, as much as I talked about moving off Bertans and Dinwiddie without giving up a pick, couldn't that same thing be reversed the other way? Like, I I don't know. My point is more like we need to wait in some of these cases because we're so sure of ourselves. It's not always as cut and dry. Well, so the King's point, right? Everyone is so focused on the King's side that they ignored what Sabonis brings. I think the difference here is that people, fine, even if you get off Kristaps, you took two also hilariously bad contracts. So not, Dinwiddie's not as bad, but clearly he hasn't lived up to it. And you took Bertans, which also among at least more intelligent NBA fans, that was seen as one of the worst contracts in the league because he can't even get on the floor. Um, he's like literally useless. And you know, so I, I I still I agree that I think we're quick to judge a team like Dallas because of Cuban, because also whenever it's it's like the same thing with Zion, same thing with Luca. Everyone loves saying like, oh, they're mismanaging the situation around him, they're wasting his career. Yeah. But this is bad, man. Like if it doesn't it's seem bad. like there's a plan in place. If it felt like there's a plan, fine. You're clearing up calories uh salary cap, you're going after a big free agent. They're not. I don't know what they're doing. They actually think Dinwiddie might be a piece that's going to help them contend. Yeah, they're not only not clearing up cap, they're even more capped out for a longer period of time than they were if they just hung exactly. out. Exactly. Exactly. And they signed Hardaway to a four-year, $72 million extension that they're desperately trying to get out of already. Yeah, they've locked him to 2025. Like, this, this is your team. And they just re-signed Dorian Finney-Smith. Again, you kind of have to, right? This is your team. You kind of have to pay Brunson this summer, I think. Or maybe this is Brunson and They could have moved Brunson, honestly. He's right. a great it's, player, but like he has value right now. 
if they moved Brunson because of Dinwiddie, I would have had a conniption. But that's probably what their plan is. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe Brunson goes and you can go get a big with him. Like, could you get uh, Clint Capella for Brunson? I think, I think Brunson's way more valuable, but or John Collins, right? Like, I think Collins, might be, but yeah, I agree. Like, okay, if you right, have a plan, you could package that, yeah. something. But my point is more that like they're looking at it as is Dinwiddie eighty percent of Brunson, and can we use Brunson to get a guy that's one hundred twenty percent of? KP that just stylistically fits better with Luca. Yep. Um, so there's some there's some look ahead moves, but you always you know try not to outsmart yourself. I'm telling you, it always gets very very tricky. This is what happened with Zion and like losing Lonzo for nothing because they were just like, oh, I don't know if this is the guy. Meanwhile, Zion was like, let's keep Lonzo, and they're like, see ya, dude. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up with you later. Um, but all right, any other big trades that we did not hit today? Nah, man, there's a lot of stuff on the fringes. You talked about, you know, bad young to the Raptors, more just length. That team is just... They won eight straight. They're rolling. They're rolling. Um, you know, you have Montrez Harrell, your boy, went to the Hornets. I actually like that. I um, thought we would have gotten a lot more for him. I exactly. don't know what that package was. Because, like, it's like, I feel like he's at peak value. And then, you know, the Celtics got Derek White, which is... That's interesting. I don't know that Brad Stevens knows what he's doing because he gave up a first and then a pick swap in 2028. Yeah. For the chance to have Derek White, who's fine. Like he's not, you know, changing the calculus of the whole league. Yeah, I I didn't. The pick was kind of weird to throw in there, but, you know, they made some moves at least to get. uh, Funny story about the Wizards, right? Like. Everyone two days ago, Beal was out, uh, ruled out for the year, and we were like already terrified that they were going to try to make some stupid f- future sacrificing move to go get like Jeremy Grant. Um, so then once that happened, we're like, okay, can we just blow this up? This is so dumb. Then the trade started today, and nothing happened. Like nothing happened because everyone in the league was waiting on Harden Simmons, right? So Harden Simmons goes. And then we're like, all right, the Wizards can finally start moving. And the first two things that are announced is that we traded Montrez Harrell for Ish Smith <laughs> and that we traded Aaron Holiday for literally nothing to Phoenix. And we're like, people were about to like go into cardiac arrest. And then five minutes later, Shams drops the, the uh, reporting his bomb. It so, didn't Ish Smith, he played for the Wizards, right? Oh, yeah, last season. Well, last season, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's like going to go back to his... Somehow, Ish Smith has started more games at point guard than John Wall over the last two years, I think. <laughs> um, but nonetheless. Um, okay, we got to talk, before we wrap, we got to talk Super Bowl. Okay. It honestly is hard to remember believe that Super Bowl is even this weekend. I, don't, I didn't recall trade deadline and Super Bowl lining up like this. Um, but maybe this is the first time with the schedule. So, uh, But honestly, this is the most, the least exciting... Media week, I feel like, even for Super Bowl. I just don't feel like there's that anything that compelling about these teams. But how is that possible when this is happening in L.A.? It's like literally the event of the century. Like Everybody was like falling over themselves to try to get out there. I almost feel like as a very fringe member of the media, I kind of have FOMO from not being in L.A. right now. Nah, man. I know a lot of people in L.A. It's not – people aren't that excited. It's also in Inglewood. Like, 
you have to one thing you have to learn about LA is that it's not like you're in the heart of the city and then right when you walk out of the stadium you're going to be going and partying with freaking Brad Pitt or something. You're literally out <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Just driving from that arena back to like anywhere that's even remotely fun will take you an hour. Um, back to ramen son. Yeah, you're like it's like LA is so big that it's you're not in the middle of anything. It's just going to be, you know. But it is going to be yeah. hot. Apparently it's going to hit 90 on Sunday. So it's a hot um, all right so so i have the rams based on what i'm seeing as a three and a half point favorite uh versus the Bengals. that has shifted between three and a half and four <laughs> the last couple weeks <clears throat> the storylines like you said if you had to think about the best case scenario when there was eight teams left I could have probably come up with like four better matchups than this one. <laughs> and not to say I don't love Joe Burrow and not to say the Rams don't have a lot of star power, but anything involving Mahomes, Josh Allen, Rodgers, Brady, mm-hmm. all of those things I think would have been um, preferable. But nonetheless, I think a lot to like about these two teams. I think the number one thing with the Bengals is I looked at the Tennessee game. I was like, how the hell did they win that? And so I, Picked them to backdoor cover against the Chiefs, but fully expected the Chiefs to win. I'm stuck saying the same thing. How the hell do they beat the Chiefs? Down 21-3, down 21-10 yeah, with the yeah. Chiefs having the ball inside the five. You know, we don't have to go through all those games, but is this are they just team of destiny? I don't know. I don't believe a team of destiny. Do you want me to give you the pick right now? Or yeah, what is your pick? I'll do mine after. I'm going with the Rams. And I know it's like I've picked against the Bengals, I think, every round. Um, no, actually, I think I picked them against the Titans. Um, but I, the reason is, and on the surface, it's, it seems very obvious, but the pass rush gave Brady fits. And I know, you know, Joe Burrow, he was sacked nine times against the Titans. He was running for his life against the Chiefs, and that didn't matter. They still won. But... I think because you're also getting it's not just edge pressure, you're getting pressure from the middle. It's Aaron Donald in your face. That's a different kind of pressure he's gonna have to deal with. Yep. And because they're so good at stopping the run, um, and I know the Bengals are a passing team anyway, they like to air it down the field. It's just it's asking a lot for them to keep up with that Rams offense. And I just think the Rams are clicking. Odell's been looking amazing. You know, Cooper Cup obviously has, has been awesome that. I see this as a six point, seven point game. Maybe there's an opportunity for a backdoor cover, but the Rams, it just feels like they're too talented and, and the Bengals Cinderella story has to end at some point. So I'm going Rams. I am also going Rams in a blowout. I think Damn. this one is okay. I thought you were maybe, gonna go Bengals. Maybe twenty one plus. Um the twenty one plus? I think you're looking at like a 38-17, 38-21 kind of game wow. because the Bengals do not have a good defense uh, by any type of metric, right? They played really well in the playoffs. Um, they've held their three opponents to, what, 19 for Oakland uh, at Las Vegas, uh, 16 for Tennessee, and then 24 for the Chiefs, but only three after halftime. So pretty impressive. They were bottom 10 unit during the regular season that offensive line was was a mess. They somehow, even even against the Chiefs, right? Burrow would have gotten sacked three, four times, and he just escaped. I, I give him credit for that type of elusiveness, but I also don't think Aaron Donald's letting you go quite that easy. Um, and they get a lot of pressure up the middle, so that's where Donald lives. Von Miller, Leonard Floyd off the edge. 
The weakness for the bank for the Rams, we talked about this with the Niners with Debo and Kittle coming across the middle. I feel like the 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 Bengals can hurt you there with Boyd and others, but really they like the deep play um, to T. Higgins to to of course Jamar Chase. And I'm not sure that either team's going to run the ball that much, um, nor can run the ball that much to make this like a, a low scoring game. So I, I also think that the way that the the Rams took out or the Bengals took out Tyreek Hill won't really work against Cup because he just yep. lines up all over the formation. And Stafford's not locked on to him. I know he gets a lot of targets, but Stafford doesn't force the ball to him when he's like triple covered. It's just so damn good that he's always open. Yep. Um, and he has OBJ. You know, they're getting Daryl Henderson back, so they have all three running backs. I just love the the, the depth and the top end talent for, for LA and you know at home. Why not? Why not two straight champions after never having happened once in once in Super Bowl history? Why not two straight uh champs winning big time games at home? Yeah, I'll be upset about that because right now the Bucks they only had one year as the only team to do it and now Well it's always good to be the first. It's always going to be the first, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page. I don't know. I don't call it a blowout. I think it's going to be seven to ten because the Bengals' offense is just too potent. I don't think they're going to lay an egg. And the Rams' offense, as good as it's been, it's not been a team that's going for thirty, thirty-five every week to week. You know, they put up as much as they need to, and they let their defense do the work. So. Joe Burrow's a total stud, but if this was Chiefs Rams, I would be a lot more excited, I think. That's the thing. Chiefs Rams would be more fun. Even Chiefs no, Chiefs Niners maybe would not be as good. Well, it's the rematch, so there's some benefit to that, but it wasn't exactly a great game. And that that was a good Niners team a couple of years ago, right? This is more of an underdog Niners team, so it wouldn't right. be the same. But that one was like they hosted the NFC championship, they mowed everyone down. Like that was a different unit. I really think Chiefs Packers, Chiefs Bucks, obviously for me, but Chiefs Packers would have been at least from a public standpoint, that is the most interesting. Like Aaron Rodgers, last dance yeah. kind of a thing. Mahomes. Rodgers won his fourth MVP tonight. Yeah, bullshit. I, he was actually there, which shocked me. And he gave a, he gave a solid speech too. I um, haven't watched it. I need to watch it. I, I assumed he just couldn't be bothered to show up. No, he did, and then he thanked the Packers. He had some really nice words about Matt LaFleur and, and talked about how he couldn't do it without him. Did but, he talk but, about Joe Rogan and, like, <laughs> the censorship going on right now? He, he talked about standing in solidarity with Joe Rogan. Um, I don't know. Like, his tone, somewhat, some of it sounded – it sounded like he, like he really done. likes the Packers, so it's like maybe he'll stay, but it also sounded a little bit final in some ways kind of like he's appreciative of all of the years he's been on that team and now you think final to green bay or final to the nfl to green bay okay so, so you think he plays know. gun to your head you think he plays next year yeah 100 percent. he's not gonna retire it's either green okay. bay or denver what about tampa we talked about this he doesn't want to be in brady's footsteps what about san francisco how will they do that they they can move on from Jimmy G, and then you just trade Trey Lance for Rodgers if you want. Who cares? They won't trade Trey Lance. He's good. I think Trey Lance is going to be good. A lot of people give him shit, but I think he's going to be all right. Yeah, they they have too much invested in him. If if they're going to get a quarterback for a year, it'll be Brady. They trade the rights to Brit for Brady. They trade Garoppolo, maybe something. Yeah. Um, by the way, before we conclude, coming back full circle to the Nets, because I just saw this on Twitter. 
here's their next 10 games, mostly without KD, probably all without KD, depending on when he comes back, and most without Kyrie, too, because they're mostly at home. My, at Miami, okay, he'll play that. That's a loss. Home yeah. versus Sacramento, again, none of the big three. At New York, can't play that. Home versus Washington, can't play. Home versus Boston, can't play. At Milwaukee, home versus Toronto, can't play. At Toronto, cannot play. Home versus Miami, can't play. At Boston. Wait, why did you say home versus Toronto can't play? He's, oh, you're, sorry, not sorry. In, you're not allowed to play in Canada unless you're vaccinated. Uh, sorry, I meant away at Toronto, but then, yeah, I realized, yeah, you can't play it. In- so, <laughs> and, they, and this is, by the way, they've lost 10 straight games. I don't know if I made that clear enough at the top. This is their next 10 on top of that. Yeah, that's... Uh, but you got Seth Curry? He's Seth Curry play. and Andre Drummond, two-man game, could help them win at least one of those versus Toronto. Oh, my the, goodness. The two easiest games on their schedule are, are Kings and Wizards, and Kyrie won't be in either of them. And those are also early on in this next stretch, so it's possible Simmons hasn't made it back from his ramp-up either. No, Simmons won't be back, I think, for at least a week. Maybe. We are in danger zone of some really funny outcomes of the ten seed nets like staving off like what if the what if the nets win the championship out of the ten hole? <laughs> Is that an argument for the plan working or not working? Because you can argue that it's, it's good that a team that's talented like that should be in the playoffs. I think it's an argument for the old adage that nothing in life matters and we'll just keep moving on and just hurling uh, on a, on this rock and moving at millions of miles oh, an hour. Can you imagine the Wizards and Nets fighting for the 10th seed? <laughs> yeah, Kyle Kuzma versus Porzingis. Kessler Edwards. <laughs> yeah, Porzingis. Um, all right, that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Hope you guys are enjoying uh, the NBA season, the trade deadline. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we will talk to you next week. Peace.